This is What Book Cooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. This week I'm talking to Emiko Jean, whose book, Tokyo Ever After, was a New York Times bestseller and also one of Reese Weatherspoon's book club selections. So exciting things happened to this book that came out in May of this year. So it was great to be able to talk to Emiko to kind of unpack some of that, reflect back on some of that, and also learn about her origins of wanting to become a writer. So great conversation and listen in. So Emiko, what book hooked you? Uh, so I gave this uh, a lot of thought. Um, and I kind of went down the windy path of my childhood of being a teenager. Um, and the first book that I remember reading or actually was read to me and that I loved was Where the Sidewalk Ends by Shel Silverstein. Yes. And how did you encounter this book? Was it, was it a book that was like read to you? Like I remember mine was like in an elementary school, my teacher would read a poem like mm-hmm. once a day or something like that. So how do you remember first encountering this book? Yeah. So I think why I remember it so fondly is because of the circumstances when it was read to me. And uh, my dad used to read it to me at night uh, before I went to bed and he'd do funny voices. Mm. Um so I just remember feeling like a sense of warmth around it and like that security right before you go to bed. Um, and just being, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun book. It's funny. And sure. so I remember like leaving off on a really happy note at the end of each day. That's great. That's a wonderful yeah. little memory. Mm-hmm. And so with that book kind of, you know, establishing obviously that uh, you were read to as a child, but when it came to a little bit, maybe a little bit older, independent reading, was that mm-hmm. something that you gravitated towards as a kid? Yeah, I mean, I came back to where the sidewalk ends uh, over the years. And in fact, it's still uh, very close to my writing desk now, because I think you find something new in it every time. So for example, when I was younger um, and it was being read to me, um, I liked how weird it was, because I kind of felt like a weird kid. Um, and it also kind of, um, it kind of gave, uh, words to like bigger feelings Mm. and, um, bad feelings you might be having. Like, I remember, um, I grew up with two sisters and there's a poem in there. I think it's in where the sidewalk ends, um, where it's sister for sale. And I remember, (laughs) I remember, uh, loving that poem because I remember wishing that I could sell one of my sisters. So it kind of gave like this sense of normalcy to having, um, you know, not so great feelings about your siblings. Um, And then much later on when I read it as a teen, um, I saw it in a different light. So there are some things in there that are very philosophical. um, And in a way it kind of is a guidebook on how you approach life. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, I feel like you're not the first writer that specifically brought up the poem Sister for Sale yeah. uh, as like an aspirational <laughs> poem for them as, in their childhood. Yeah. That's funny. I can't remember who it was though. But so you touched on, you know, when you moved in the teenage years, mm-hmm. how this book changed for you outside of just this book. Mm-hmm. 
were were there books in your young adult years that you remember reading that you gravitated towards that obsession if you want to use that word or just a style or a genre of book that you were that you always liked yeah I read pretty um I read pretty diversely within genres but I do remember um I loved uh Lorleen McDaniel um and she wrote kind of these really sad stories about teens dying um I think I had read one time a when I was published, I went back and I looked at, I looked her up and I think she's written like over 70 young adult novels, which is pretty incredible. Um, and I would just, I would go through her books like water. I would just mm. read them. I couldn't get enough of them. And was it around this time or when did the idea kind of enter your head that you would maybe one t- day want to be a writer? So I was always a really prolific reader. I loved reading. I'd go to the library. And back then when you went to the library, and I actually, I think this is still the rule. It's pretty much as many books as you can carry that you can check out. And so I remember checking out like 20, 30 books at a time. Um, So I, I remember always being a really prolific reader, but I didn't decide on writing until much later in life. Um, And now that I kind of reflect upon it, um, there weren't, I had never read a book featuring a Japanese American protagonist um, and or by a Japanese American writer. So even though I loved books, I didn't ever really think that writing was a pathway for me. Mm -hmm. So what, was there an event? Was there a book? What was the motivating force that got you wanting to write later in life? Um, I was working at a job that I was deeply unhappy at. um, And books had always been such an escape for me. um, And I couldn't read at work, uh, but I could write. So I... (laughs) I um, I'm not going to say the name of the place where I worked. <laughs> and I would, um, I would pretend to be sending out an email and I would start writing, you know, chapters to, uh, to a story. Um, and in this way, you know, I kind of escaped from my, my daily job. Wow. And so were, was that, were those stories then that you were kind of typing at work did you have a plan for them or was it just something to, you know, kill the workday? Did you, were you working towards something at that point or was it still kind of in the, the infancy stages of, of, you know, trying out this writing thing, I guess I could say. Yeah, it was very much still in the infancy stages. It wasn't even, they were scenes from a story, but it wasn't comprehensive. There was really no plot. There were just conversations and then action. <laughs> Um, all sorts of different things, just kind of whatever um, was interesting to me at the time. Um, So it was very much just the beginning of my love affair with writing. Um, But once I kind of figured out I I really loved to write, I decided to be more purposeful with it. Hmm. And when you started to be more purposeful and thinking like maybe I'd one day want to be published, what image in your mind did that form what I mean by that is like 
what type of writer do you did you want to be? Were there was there a book that you kind of thought of as like this is the book that I want my book to one day be put beside? Like, does that make sense? Like, what kind of genre style? What were you thinking you would be the writer of at that point? So at that time, I I was reading a lot of young adult. Um, And so it wasn't ever really a question of like, would it be a young adult or adult? I immediately went to young adult because that's what I was reading and liking. Um, And I was reading a lot of thrillers. And I remember when I was in high school reading a lot of thrillers, like I loved uh, The Face on the Milk Carton and I loved um, R.L. Stein and Christopher Pike. Uh, so that felt really natural to me. And that that's what ended up becoming my debut novel was We'll Never Be Apart, which was a thriller. And with that debut, what was that process like going from killing time at work to having a published novel? Uh, was that was that something that happened pretty quickly or was that something that took a long time to kind of find your footing? What was that initial uh, from start to, to debut like for you? Yeah, I'm um, going back in time. And um, <laughs> as I think I mentioned to you before this, pod, before we started this, I have twins. And so yeah. everything kind of feels like a blur before <laughs> I had kids, um, which I think happens kind of naturally. Um, so I started writing Will Never Be Apart while I was still working at the job I was unhappy at. Um, and I also started to query agents before the book was done, mm. which you're not supposed to do. <laughs> um, and uh, and I don't think I got a response immediately. I got one about one or two months later, which is still pretty good for querying agents. And by that time I had finished the book. And so I kind of sent it to uh, my agent who is also still my current agent. Um, and uh, I'm kind of embarrassed now thinking back on it about how <laughs> shape it was in. Um, and she liked it. She's an editorial agent. So she had a lot of ideas for revision. So we worked on it together for about a year and a half before submitting it to publishers. Um, when we did submit it, it, it went fairly quickly. Um, I think in a matter of weeks, it went to auction um, and it sold to Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Fantastic. So that was your debut. And like you said, uh, we'll never be a part as a thriller. And mm-hmm. so you follow that up with Empress of All Seasons, which is a fantasy. So very different. Uh, was it a situation like you wanted to explore fantasy or how did you go from writing a thriller to the follow-up book being a fantasy? Yeah, I think from like a bird's eye view, it seems like I've had these very disjointed books, like mm-hmm. a thriller, uh, a fantasy, and then my newest book is a contemporary. Um and the first book I wrote, Will Never Be a Part, uh, featured a white protagonist. And um, I didn't think that I would get published writing a Japanese uh, protagonist or a Japanese American protagonist uh, that just didn't really exist in publishing yet. We were right at that tipping point of the We Need Diverse Books movement. So by the time Will Never Be a Part came out, um, the We Need Diverse Books movement was like full throttle. Um, and I felt like I had the permission then to write something exploring my own Japanese heritage. And I felt like doing that through a fantasy would be great. So 
it was part of my own like personal exploration to reconnect with some of my Japanese roots. Mm-hmm. Great. And then you mentioned your latest book, uh, your contemporary mm-hmm. Tokyo Ever After. Let's start talking about this. And so first, to someone that isn't aware, tell us basically what the book's about. Sure. So um, it's all about a Japanese American teen, Azumi Tanaka, uh, who's growing up in a small, mostly white Northern California town with her mom and uh, her single mom. And she's always wondered uh, about her father and where she comes from. And so kind of with the help of her friend, uh, she discovers that her father is really the crown prince of Japan which means that uh, Izumi is literally a princess. Um, Soon enough, she finds herself on a plane to Japan to meet her father and explore the country she's always dreamt of. Um, And of course, with any good story, there are lots of complications along the way. Um, And the main one being uh, Izumi's struggle and feeling as if she's caught between two worlds, America and Japan, um, both of which she doesn't really truly feel a part of. And when it came to Tokyo Ever After, mm-hmm. what was uh, the spark? What was that initial idea that got you settled on writing this contemporary story? So I think it was kind of the next step and kind of the evolution of me exploring my Japanese identity. So with Empress of All Seasons, I, uh, I took a look at kind of the history of Japan and those roots. Um, and this one was more about um, finding myself in comfort within being a Japanese American. So there wasn't really like a lightning bolt uh, moment with this story. Um, I started with like thinking about a girl, um, specifically a Japanese American girl like myself who was searching for her identity or a place where she belongs. And I was also kind of thinking about um, my daughter and the literature that she was going to read and the books that I love to read and the books that I didn't really ever see myself in. Um, one of those being The Princess Diaries and Fairy Tales. So it felt uh, really natural to like take these two things and combine them together. Like this, this girl searching for herself and also you know, this classic, I'm really a princess trope. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you mentioned in your answer and you mentioned before how you know, growing up, you you never really saw yourself reflected uh, as a Japanese child or a Japanese person in books. Do you remember like growing up, like really clinging on to whether it was a movie or a television show or something that had uh, a Japanese character represented that like you really sat up and took notice of because it was it was so non-present in just the mainstream uh, entertainment? Um. No, I mean, there, there really wasn't any representation uh, that I found uh, growing up. I, I remember wanting it very, very deeply. The first time that I saw someone um, Asian in media was when Disney put out Mulan. And that mm. was the first time I remember seeing a character um, with some of my physical features. Mm-hmm. So with Tokyo Over After, and even you know, with with having the three books and with and with changing genre, when you're when you're doing that, is there somewhat of a process of I don't know, learning to write all over again, like learning to like understanding what it takes to write a thriller, what it takes to write a fantasy, 
what it takes then to to you know really get more intricate sometimes when it comes to being uh when telling a contemporary story is that something that with each book you're almost starting over again yeah i mean it's a that's the unique challenge to each one of those books is what makes a thriller a thriller what makes a fantasy a fantasy what makes a contemporary novel um a contemporary novel um and to be honest with you it's not a question that (laughs) i ever deliberately ask myself you know at the beginning of the novel but it's one you know that you kind of end up answering in the process of writing so when with a book like tokyo ever after what what did you find was like the big challenge that you as the writer sort of had to to figure out or or come back through revisions and and correct or really tackle in order to get the story the way you wanted it so azumi's journey and her search for identity and kind of fusing her two kind of discordant halves. Um, that came really naturally to me, but also kind of painfully because it was mm. my journey as well. Um, and so I understood that from the beginning. So that always felt very authentic to me and in a sense, easy, quote unquote, easy. Um, but uh, getting um, Japan right and the imperial family right was was the challenge with uh, Tokyo Ever After and making sure that I had some of those um, like court etiquette things correct. And so with this book, you know, being personal in the aspect that it is partly, you know, there's part of you in it that you just mentioned about your journey. Mm-hmm. How is it then that the book comes out and, you know, becomes a New York Times bestseller, a Reese's Book Club pick? Like what was that now that you have a few months since that has all occurred, as you look back, what was that like for you? It was, it was very overwhelming to be honest. Um, I was really nervous about putting this book out there because I still wasn't sure if it was going to find an audience. um, If other, you know, Japanese Americans had had similar experiences to mine. I grew up in a mostly white uh, suburban neighborhood. So I've always felt pretty isolated uh, from the Japanese American community aside from my family. Um, so I didn't know if if my journey and Izumi's journey would ring true, um, but it has. And so there was a lot of validation in that, especially in like the messages that I get now from Asian Americans saying that they've, you know, felt this way. Um, and, you know, just other teens that aren't Asian American that talk about how they don't feel like they belong somewhere. And so they identify with Izumi in that way as well. Um, I feel like everything happened really quickly. Um, <laughs> it takes about a year to publish a book and you're kind of waiting and waiting and waiting and things are going slowly and then it publishes and it, it feels like it's over in a blink. Um, and so I haven't really had time, I don't think, to like process it all. I've, uh, in between that, I've written the second book to Tokyo Ever After, and I wrote um, a women's fiction novel too. So um, I've just been writing. Hmm. And you're not my, you're not the first author I've interviewed whose book uh, was part of Reese's book club, but I, you're the first one that I've gotten to talk to after the fact, like the other authors, it was before the book was chosen. So like, did you get, when it came to that whole process, that whole selection, Mm -hmm. were you 
clued into the possibility? What, like what beforehand did you know, or did, was it like a complete surprise that when, when your agent or your editor, whoever like shared this news with you? Yeah, it wasn't even on my radar. <laughs> it's like, I, um, I, and I don't know this, I think this is unique to each editor, but mine didn't let me know that they had mm. submitted Tokyo Ever After to the book club for consideration, um, which I think is kind of the best way to do it. Cause you don't really know what you've lost <laughs> if, you, if they do tell you. Um, so I just got this surprise email. Uh, I think it was in January or February saying that the book had been uh, selected and that I couldn't tell anyone. <laughs> um, so I had to sit on the news for a couple of months, but um, it was kind of, it was pretty unbelievable. I called my partner up and I was like, am I reading this email correctly? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> so I had to get, I had to get a second set of eyes on it. That's awesome. And, you know, because of the book club pick, because it, it hit the New York times bestseller list, you mentioned that there's going to be a, a sequel to the book mm-hmm. was, and I don't know, obviously where you were in the writing process of, of that, of this sequel was, did that make it more difficult now that you knew that there were going to be more intention and more eyes on the first book? Did it put, feel like there was any more pressure when you were in the process of writing the sequel for the book? Yeah, for sure. So I had actually, I think I was, I finished a first draft of the second book uh, when I got the news that it had been selected for the book club. Um, and I remember combing back through it and, uh, and thinking, how am I going to make this one as good or better than the first book? Um, and I'm still, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still contemplating that the uh, Tokyo Dreaming is the name of the next book, and it's due in like two weeks. And I'm taking every single last minute to come <laughs> through it and make sure that that it looks good. So, with you, you've tackled thriller, you've tackled fantasy, contemporary. You mentioned how you also have an adult book in the works. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're dabbling in a lot of different genres is there one genre category that you are the scared most of to write like you're most like risk averse to write because you're not even sure how you would even approach something within this category or genre I'm trying to think um you know despite me already having written one I don't think that I'm still pretty intimidated and scared of writing fantasy novels. Mm. Um, I think, you know, with Empress of All Seasons, it served a purpose for me personally, um, but it was also incredibly challenging and it's not uh, a place that I think I would go back to. Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't think I would write another fantasy again. Okay. Let's wind things down. And as we do, I'll ask you a few final questions that I ask all the guests. First one is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Uh, so growing up, my mom loved Jane Austen and we had, um, uh, it was either six or eight cassette tapes of, yeah. uh, not cassette tapes, videotapes of uh, Pride and Prejudice, the BBC version with Colin Firth. 
And we would watch those over and over again. And I had read the books. Um, I had read the book by that time. And um, I, I remember loving that adaptation. That's probably within the top three to five answers to this question is oh. the Colin Firth Pride and Prejudice. You have to be specific with it. It's the Colin mm. Firth one, yes. Definitely, definitely do. <laughs> the next question then, is there a series or a standalone book that you're willing to admit you've either never read or never finished? Yeah. Uh, so I might lose my, <laughs> my YA writing card for this, but uh, I... I never read the Hunger Games and I didn't finish the Harry Potter series. Now I will say Harry Potter is the num- is the most popular answer to this. Oh, question. is it? Okay. So good. you definitely, you haven't, there's no <laughs> membership you have to revoke. Okay. And even Hunger Games is up there with, uh, up there with this answer. So, so far you're doing good. You're doing good. And then the final one is an easy one. What is the last great book that you've read? Uh, I finished recently, uh, which is actually just a few months ago, because um, I don't read as much as I used to, uh, Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. Yes. It's an amazing book. It talk about a great thriller. Um, it keeps you on the edge of your seat. I stayed up so late reading, and I think I like fed my kids candy uh, <laughs> the next morning <laughs> for breakfast. Um, but it was really good. I, I read somewhere that it took her... Uh, 10 years to, to write the book. And you can really tell, I mean, every sentence, every paragraph, the writing is just, it's on point. Yes. Yes. I, she was the, she was the other Reese book club pick that I interviewed beforehand. Yes. She did talk about how, how long that book had been in development. Pretty amazing. So Emiko, I want to thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Congratulations on all the praise and attention that Tokyo Ever After is receiving it and we can't wait to see the sequel from you and everything else you might have for us yeah thank you so much for having me and that does it for this episode i want to thank emiko for joining me again her book tokyo ever after is out now so i hope you'll check that out hope you'll check out some of the other great episodes i have talking to middle grade and ya writers i'm brock shelley and until next time Keep reading.